This episode of Politics Without the Boring Bits is sponsored by BT, because BT means business. BT knows that businesses come in many shapes, sizes and guises, from the person just starting out at their kitchen table to the biggest employer, which is why no matter what line of work you're in, they've got your back to help you succeed and do what you do best. No doubt connectivity is a must in Westminster, and it certainly helped us to get this episode created and distributed to you listening right now. BT already connects more than 1 million businesses and public sector organisations, offering secure and reliable connectivity. Nearly three quarters of people running a business or side hustle feel they couldn't do so without reliable broadband and mobile connectivity. That's why having connectivity you can count on is a must for business, whether it be facilitating multiple devices being connected at once or making team calls or guest Wi-Fi access for customers. BT's connectivity helps keep you and your customers happy. Whatever your business, BT's got your back. Search BT's got your back. This episode of Politics Without the Boring Bits is brought to you by Luton Rising, owners of London Luton Airport, the UK's most socially impactful airport. Find out more at lutonrising.org.uk. Welcome to The Times. To find out more, head to thetimes.co.uk. So welcome to this New Year edition of the Times Opinion Podcast. My name is uh, Tim Montgomery and uh, fresh from your Christmas uh, celebrations, we are going to look forward to 2015 with three Times experts in this special podcast. And joining me this week, I have Faye Schlesinger, our home editor, Francis Elliott, our political editor, and Roland Watson, our foreign affairs editor. So great expertise in the room with me today. And before we start looking into our crystal balls to make great predictions, I want to get a sense of the optimism or pessimism that's in this uh, room. Faye, should Times readers and listeners, as they are looking forward to 2015, expect things to be better or worse? Is our world something we should be glad that we are living in this age or should we be a bit gloomy we should be glad there's there's heaps of um, reason to be optimistic at the moment if you look at um, things like health we're making um, enormous progress in some areas I mean countered against that is the fact that we are spotting more diseases and more aware of diseases so if you take dementia for example there's a, a massive rise in um, diagnoses of dementia and therefore in those dying of dementia but the better we become at spotting those things the better we are at tackling them so you had David Cameron in 2014 saying this is going to be the big thing we're going to look at we're going to tackle dementia and, and, and antibiotics as well as another thing you said that um, antibiotic resistance and and I think you will start to see that. You know, Britain is kind of trying to be at the forefront of these um, areas that are enormously important that hit literally millions and millions of people every year, not just obviously here, but across the world. And I think we are ploughing more money into those areas um, and we will start to see results. Now, the money side is the bit you might be a little bit pessimistic about because um, NHS funding is going to be something really difficult going forward and I think will be a really big theme of the year to come. There is the NHS is ring-fenced, um, but it needs more and more money. We know that Simon Stevens, the head of the NHS, has said we want about eight, £8 um, billion pounds more a year, um, which is a lot of money. We've got to find that, so that'll be a big issue going forward. The other thing I think we should be really optimistic about is tech and big data. Um, it's been a theme of this year, and I think it's only going to get a, a bigger deal, really. We know the government's looking at um, trying to go paperless in a lot of ways, and we're starting to see that. We've got rid of our tax discs this year, and you wonder what we'll, we'll, um, we'll start to lose next year. 
with that comes the kind of caveat of security which might be a big issue over the coming year but overall we are getting better at amalgamating statistics and knowing ourselves better as a society so that we can make things better so big data big medicine things that reasons for optimism from a sort of more global perspective uh, roland you're our um, foreign editor are you optimistic or pessimistic about 2015 well given where we're starting from um um you have to hope to be optimistic at the very least bearing in mind that the last 12 months has seen the the incarnation of ISIS uh, Ebola wreak havoc uh, throughout West Africa Vladimir Putin redraw the map of Europe by force for the mm. first time since Hitler uh, North Korea openly declare the first cyber war it's been a been a pretty grim year um, so you would you would have to hope that um, um, that 2015 will be better and there are uh, it, there are slight signs that uh, that that may be the case uh, in northern Syria and Iraq it's certainly the case that ISIS is no longer advancing um, and in some areas even receding uh, we may look back on the uh, Peshmerga victory around Mount Sinjar in the past week mm. as, a, as a as a very key moment in the uh, uh, in the rollback of ISIS, although that may be, be being a bit premature. Because in, in your list of reasons for pessimism, those incidents you mention, every year, does it not, has those kinds of incidents, wars or... Absolutely uh, every year throws but up the, horrors. But the, the, the trend, the long-term trend, a little bit related to what Faye's been saying, life expectancy across the world is, is rising and poverty rates are falling. Bill Gates has talked to this age as an era of incredible... And prosperity. Africa, even Africa, along the basket case of the world economy is moving forward. Away from the news events, the trends are positive, aren't they? Um, oh, totally true, everything you say. Um, I, I would just add that the jury is still very much out on whether ISIS is ushering in a new and more dangerous era of jihadism and that the creation of a self-styled caliphate uh, is something that the world has not seen um, for, uh, for for many many years, and particularly not not in the post 9/11 world, and, and that's very much in the way it has been set up. Uh, the way that the caliphate may uh, and well clearly is responding, loads of uh, uh, attracting foreign fighters to the battlegrounds of northern Syria and Iraq is extremely um, extremely pertinent in terms of. Uh, whether things are getting better or not. More so is the rallying point it gives to would-be jihadis around the world and the extent to which it encourages lone wolf attacks in, in the West. So I think... The uh, kind we've seen in Sid Sydney and France recently. Sydney, France, um, New York, um, yes. Yeah. And, and big questions around home security there as well because I, I don't know, there's a sort of sense at the moment we get different pictures, we get GCHQ saying regularly, you know, the, the impact of the Snowden whistleblowing means that we're actually far less able to keep track of, of what terrorists are doing, what criminals are doing. I'm not quite sure. Some of that's bluster and some of it's absolutely true. But it, the year to come feels like it will be quite interesting in terms of, of home security. We keep being told we've, we've been hours from a terror attack. You know, the Home Office has got a hell of a lot on its plate at the moment um, and doesn't seem to be coping very well, even with the, the basics of sort of counting mm. people in and out. So I feel like it could be a very interesting year, yeah, security-wise. The year's not ending well for the Home Office. Um, Francis Elliott, our political editor, um, I think I've got one clear pessimist, <laughs> uh, optimist in um, <laughs> Faye. 
I've got a cautious optimist, I think, in... You, you want me to be pessimistic. Well, well, where, where, where are you? <laughs> well, we've got, you know, big medicine, big tech. We've also got a big debt. Um, and uh, <laughs> and it's, not, it's not dropping as fast as everybody hoped it would. Uh, and the pessimistic case is that the size of the... St- the structural deficit that's the bit that doesn't go away um with the normal kind of boom and bust cycle is just much larger than everybody thought and that, that somehow that the shape of the economy has fundamentally changed as a result of the shakeout of the, of, of the big global crash now if that's true that has enormous consequences for britain's ability to to pay its way in the world and and what it, it might be able to do and i fear that we will increasingly see expensive treatments and medicines come on stream and just simply be unable to pay for them the rationing nettle is going to have to be grasped and it is going to be very painful particularly as you factor in aging you know the demographics yeah and do, do you see any of the as we say four or five political parties we have in britain now facing up to this challenge <laughs> well that's um they're, they're all no they're all dancing around it in their own particular um in their own particular way, um, and um, none has a uh, credible, I would suggest, answer to the very specific questions of, okay, well, which public services are you going to cut in a little over six months' time? Because you, you were until you became political, as you were based in India um, for the Times, and would it, would it be fair to say that? We are in a period in the world when actually the world is largely moving forward. We're seeing the developing countries grow quite fast, but the West seems to be retreating into a little bit of a, a of a of a slothful stage. Perhaps, although I mean, if you look at just the the, the you know top line numbers of growth, then clearly that's true. I mean, India was growing at eight percent; it's now growing something like four or five percent. You know, China was growing at ten percent; it's now growing at whatever six or seven percent. You know, the growth rates that obviously the west would 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 kill for but um <laughs> you know you don't have to spend too long in the in in these emerging economies to realize how incredibly lucky you are to live in the uk still yeah. uh and um uh i guess You're I, glad to be home. i'm being forced to be pushed <laughs> no well no but i'm you know i am i am You're not glad to be home i am suited <laughs> are you you don't don't draw me on that <laughs> Cheeky monkey. No, I, 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 I'm. I, I, well, it certainly has made me suitably grateful for uh, some of the basics of you know, Western democracy, rule of law. Yeah. Uh, I, I, I would rather a uh, slow and sustainable economic growth than some of the um, some of the craziness and froth and bubbles that, you, that we're seeing around the world. Okay. Well, we are starting to see some Fair. positive. Maybe it's going to be very short-lived, and it's only been happening in recent weeks, really. But things like petrol prices have come down which is a, a, a great change from what we've seen previously mm. you wonder whether there's a possibility that energy prices will come down um that is a, a big bone of contention it will be interesting if obviously labor get in with their, their their push for an energy price freeze um an energy price freeze might look like um an imposition on the consumer <laughs> <if> <laughs> energy That's true. Just be and we're, we're seeing food prices coming down as well yeah. you know it, it, it it's sort of a it's a new thing we don't know where it's going to go it'll depend on what oil prices do going forward but um you slightly wonder whether there'll be a little bit and again i'm playing my you, are, you, are, you, are, you are you are miss sunshine in this conversation i'm you hopeful really are. Yeah. um francis can i start my uh, the second round of questions with you um i want each of you to 
give our uh, readers, our listeners, a defining event that they should look for um, in the next year. I imagine, as our political editor, you're going to say the general election. No, my, or my pigeonholing. I'm, I'm not. I'm not. I've, yeah. I, I saw that one coming, and I'm. Gonna, <laughs> I'm going to resist. I'm going to resist. No, no. I think the defining event of the next year it will be the. <laughs> will be the budget we we um, we receive after the election, not the one before. There'll be two budgets next year. There'll be one in March, and there'll be one in one assumes sort of June, July, uh, and it's the second one um, where we really find out uh, exactly what our lives are going to look like over the next four or five years. You know, we'll find out whether um, what the priorities are: uh, schools versus hospitals. Um, no political party has yet, for instance, said ring f- ring fence schools spending. Yeah. Um, you know, I suspect that they will before the next election, but we don't know. And as the parents of two children going through schooling, I want to know that. So um, it goes back to what I was saying before. I mean, you know, uh, I hope that the next five months, we as journalists and we as voters force out of them some of these questions. But um, the experience of 2010 suggests that where we, I don't know if you remember, but we ended up having a massive row about, I think it was about... Six billion pounds worth of efficiency savings. Yeah, I mean, it not was complete nonsense. Tiny, yeah. tiny. You know, for dishonest. I do wonder whether we're sort of slightly involved in this, though. We as voters as well, because we know the politicians aren't telling us the truth. But if they did tell us the truth before the election, would we vote for them? But yeah, mm. it would be an interesting experiment for any politician to ever under undertake. Um, well, Roland, can can I ask you about um, Francis's uh, really interesting observation that it'll be the budget? after the next election. Do you actually think it would be very different if it's Ed Balls or, say, George Osborne standing up to deliver that budget? Both will be pretty painful for for taxpayers and users of public services, won't they? Or do you think one might chart a very different course? They both look like they're going to be incredibly painful. And um, Ed Balls is certainly not going to give us much of an indication ahead of polling day that his course is going to be uh, uh, very different from Osborne's, I I wouldn't think. So I think Francis is absolutely right. It's the the second budget that, uh, that holds the key. And one that won't uh, won't necessarily um, reflect uh, reflect the arguments that have that have gone on during the campaign itself. You're not suggesting that voters might, we might be slightly misled by the election campaign. Right? Well, it, it may it, <laughs> it, it, it may be that it's a campaign more of obfuscation than uh, uh, than clarity. What is going to be? We'll do our best to ensure it isn't. As it, a we will. We certainly will. What is going to be interesting is w- with what looks like an almost certain. Uh, coalition uh, negotiation to follow uh, the extent to which party put parties put uh, policies uh, within red borders and what they are prepared to leave for negotiation and indeed how those red borders stand up to uh, 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 the reality of a of a no- negotiation afterwards face lessinger what is your thing that you would recommend that times readers look out for in 2015 the rugby world cup optimist again you're no, sort of giving us something cheerful I think yeah I'm going to do cheerful um, I hope people will be listening to this and wanting some good cheer I think yes, it's you're that time of year rather it. than you <laughs> doomsayers <laughs> yeah exactly um, and I do think the Rugby World Cup will be interesting because I think Britain has got quite a good reputation at the moment for holding these big events yeah, we, it's did been the, hosted we did here. the Olympics brilliantly yeah. we did um, the Jubilee brilliantly but there'll be big questions around security again I always love watching the country when it when it um, approaches and is in the midst of major events because we tend to it's partly media influence and partly what I hope is just 
good old British pessimism. But we sort of go through the doom and gloom and there will be questions around whether we can organise it properly and um, and handle the security around it. Um, but hopefully it will come off really well and we can sort of showcase ourselves again. And, you know, I just think these are, the events are time to look at Britain as it as it is. Um, and there will obviously be the obvious sort of little scandals and things that come out. So that's what I'm looking forward to. Very good. Roland, what's your thing to look forward to? Thing I, to I'm going to hedge my answer, if I may, um, by, mm, by, sure about hedging. by uh, putting it under the heading of elections. Um, in Europe, uh, two elections to look out for are in Spain and in Greece. Uh, and if, if Spaniards and Greeks do what the polls suggest they uh, uh, would do if the voting was held tomorrow um, and usher in a vehemently uh, a, a new party virulently hostile to Brussels um, intent on unpicking um, uh, the fiscal relationship between Madrid and Athens and Brussels then that will be uh, extremely interesting with uh, with enormous consequences for the rest of the EU including us. Um, so however, the, the long awaited crunch time for the Euro May, may happen next year. May happen next year. I know it has been said before, uh, but let's say it again. Um, more important. So those two elections more important than our own. In terms of Europe, yes. Yeah. Uh, in terms of Europe, for 2015, certainly. But under the heading of elections, um, I will say that the most important thing to uh, happen next year is when. Uh, the next president of the United States declares their candidacy for that office. Uh, I haven't put a name to that, you've noticed. Uh, it may be when <laughs> Hillary declares, as she will surely do in the mm. first three months or so of the year. But much more interestingly, it may be right at the back of the end of the year when someone who, who most British people, most British people uh, haven't heard of, such as Scott Walker of Wisconsin, is suddenly making a very strong run for the Republican nomination. Um, and, and that will be that'll be the moment. You're not uh, you're not going for Jeb Bush yourself as the likely Republican nominee. We're not going to have the third Bush president. I think, think I think he's done what he had to do in in firing the starting pistol, getting out there early, and trying to um, trying to deal with the inevitable baggage that comes with being the third Bush. It's interesting that eight years out of politics, I would have thought, meant that one of his first public utterances on the Cuba detente, even though he has a Florida following, may put him slightly at odds with um, public opinion in general. Okay, um, final question for each of you. I've asked for a defining event, and I want you to name a person or country, please, that people need to pin on their calendar for the year um, as something, someone some country to, to look to. Start with you, Faye. I think the person to watch this year, possibly... Next year. Next year, <laughs> possibly, or maybe in 10 years, is the Queen. I think, um, so this year, the Queen will overtake um, Queen Victoria as the longest reigning monarch. And I think she's getting on now, and I think it'll be really interesting to see what happens with the monarchy. Um, uh, there are, have been persistent rumours for years and years now, none of them substantiated really, about whether she might um, allow uh, Prince Charles to come in as a, a, a regency, basically, yeah. which would mean that he simply takes up her... She remains queen and has the title, but he takes on all her responsibilities or most of her responsibilities. He's been doing more and more, more, and more. responsibilities. I, d I don't think... She's old school, isn't she? She's she's not going to come close to abdication like no. we've seen in... Um, and that's very much the view of Spain our... And yeah, Holland, Valentine Lowe covers our, our royal um, beat and very, very closely in... 
It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to Monday.com. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. This episode of Politics Without the Boring Bits is brought to you by Luton Rising, owners of London Luton Airport, the UK's most socially impactful airport. Find out more at lutonrising.org.uk. Feels exactly the same. There's absolutely no chance she would abdicate. Neither is there any chance that we'll miss out Charles and go straight to William, which yeah. is sort of this thing that's put around <laughs> as well, just because we quite like William. But I think, it, I mean, it has wider. You're right. There has been a kind of theme of, of abdications and, and change within the monarchy. I do, uh, on a kind of slightly broader scale, the monarchy is, a, is an extraordinary institution because it is so outdated, and yet we as a country are pretty pro it at the moment more than we have been partly because you've got a baby you know and we'll have yeah. another baby um, uh, coming over the, over the coming year so I think it's quite interesting to chart that kind of our approach to the monarchy see what happens when they do take on board um, public uh, opinion which is very pro the Queen or would they go a bit more practically and say look you know she has to the go the Queen is much more popular than Charles isn't she? Par- partly because I don't think she ever really says anything controversial no, which is and what so we can love. she's the nation's grandmother we can project yeah. all our thoughts onto yeah. her she's sort of neutral figure much more popular than any yeah. politician she's good I mean she, she got negotiated her way through uh, the Scottish referendum intervened and got away with it yes. and is praised for saying oh she didn't intervene but she did intervene and very carefully and I think very well. cannily yeah and I mean, even you know, if you think of the economic crisis when she stood up and said, "How was this allowed to happen?" Those little moments—you can have those moments when you're queen and say nothing, yeah. and you can just um, make a tiny intervention. And da- David Cameron, of course, famously revealed what she thought about the Scottish down the phone. <laughs> that was one of my favourite stories of the day. Francis Elliot, <laughs> yeah. give us your personal country. Can I do two? Oh, go right. on. Seeing it's on. just Christmas, past, past yeah. Christmas, yeah. Um, one you've never heard of and one you've heard all too much about. Um, the one you've never heard of is a is a, a rejoices in the name of Oliver Coppard, and he is Labour's prospective parliamentary candidate in Sheffield Hallam, and has a I think better than average chance of uh, decapitating Nick Clegg in the forthcoming election. Uh, a recent poll conducted by the Tory peer Lord Ashcroft actually had Labour ahead. Uh, it's only when um, voters were prompted uh, to remember, remember who their local MP was that that, um, that Clegg was three points ahead. And just below the radar, Labour are putting in effort and materiel into what they admit is an outside chance, a shot outside the box, is how it was described to me. But um, Coppard is a, is a local lad. He has been dug in for, for, for 18 months and he is doing sufficiently well to force Nick Clegg to spend a third of his time in the patch, um, something that will, will continue through next year. So he's he's somebody to watch, perhaps. Um, the other person, obviously, is slightly more obviously, is, is, is Nigel Farage. Um, 
one sort of suspects that just possibly 2014 was peak Farage. He is, um, how to say, well, I mean, the entire party is predicated on him, uh, and so he will come under intense physical, you know, emotional pressure in the next five months in a way that possibly even more than the other party leaders. Because his health is not great, is it? Well, he, five years ago well, when we had an election, he, he had a crash he, landing. He did indeed. You know, he has he had he a couple of scrapes. Back, he's yes. had a car crash. He's had a, a plane crash. You know, he's had a brush with testicular cancer. And, you know, um, so you, you do wonder how he will hold up to, to that kind of battering that he's about to get. And if he increases his number of um, media appearances each day, that is just more pints of beer, which is another <laughs> thing he's going to have to factor in. Indeed. Yeah. That, 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 that's smoking as well. That's not, yeah. um, Roland, you're... We, I don't know whether you, you're going to play by the rules and only have one, because uh, Fran- having I'm, France I'm has cheated. Playing straight down the line with Very this good. Um, and I will nominate the man who will probably be named uh, in November, December next year uh, as Russia's Man of the Year for the 16th year running. Um, <laughs> and the, the element of doubt therein is, is obviously the point of interest. Um, uh, Vladimir Putin's got a very, very interesting year ahead of him. The indications over the last few weeks are that he has perhaps got the West's message over Ukraine. And uh, one of the most interesting points about his end-of-year press conference was the olive branch uh, he extended towards Petro Poroshenko, the, uh, the Ukrainian president. Um, so we may, 2015 may not see the conflagration in uh, in East Ukraine uh, that has been threatened over the second half of this year at least. Um, however, Russia is is hurtling towards economic disaster uh, and whether what he can do about it, whether he can maintain his stratospheric popularity, he probably can. Um, but it's going to be very interesting to watch. Okay, well, so quick fire questions for you to, uh, each of you to end on. Who will be Prime Minister? Um, by this time next year. Faye, put I, you on the spot. I think we'll have a Tory Lib Dem coalition again. And David Cameron as Prime yes. Minister. Francis? <laughs> Come on, I'm going to have to hurry you on this one. You could pass if you really need no, to. I'm going to pass. You're going to pass. Maintaining with your neutrality as political editor. With Roland. a bit more freedom than Francis. I will say David Cameron, and for the sake of differentiation from Faye, I will say David Cameron with an outside chance of a reasonable Tory majority. Ooh, that's that's a bold prediction. We're going to have to write these down and come back. Premier League champion, Roland. Ah, um, oh God, I suppose, um, I suppose Chelsea. Spurs supporting Francis Elliott. Tottenham Hot Spurs, of course. <laughs> <laughs> Faye? Man City, because my uncle's a big fan and he'll kill me if I say anything else. (laughs) Thank you, Faye, Francis, Roland, for being such fun guests at this uh, New Year uh, special. Um, Thanks to Dave Maguire, producer, who's run this podcast brilliantly throughout 2014. And to all of you, a very, very happy New Year. Well, um, I'm now in the Times newsroom and I'm going to pick on unsuspecting people to give me their prediction for 2015. And uh, I'm now um, on the 11th floor, which is where the Times is uh, located now, next to London Bridge, with wonderful views of London. I'm currently looking towards Westminster and the London Eye, and I'm at the desk of Patrick Kidd, the editor of the Times Diary. Patrick, what's your 
thing to look out for in 2015? Well, I'm hoping that, uh, that Ed Miliband is right and that, that the Tories are going to take us back to the 1930s. I'm really looking forward to that. The 30s was a golden age for film. Everyone is going to be uh, get going down to jazz clubs. It's going to, be, it's going to be really swinging in London. And gentlemen are going to be wearing hats. If we return to the 1930s, you won't be able to move uh, without seeing someone wearing a hat on the underground. And that's good. And, of course, bodyline bowling with the Australians coming next summer. Um, so I really think a return to the 30s is just what we need. I'm also looking forward to I'm not entirely sure this is what um, the OBR, the Office of Budget Responsibility, had in mind. But you're going full-throated for a whole return of the 1930s. Mainly for the hats, I think. <laughs> Do you wear a hat yourself normally? I, I would, but I keep on leaving it on the train, unfortunately. Um, I'm also looking forward to Ed Miliband getting a job with the Bacon Marketing Board in 2015. Patrick, thank you. Well, I've now moved round to the side of the building where I can see the city, and for some reason this is where the sports desk of the Times is located, and I'm with James Major, Deputy Sports Editor. James, what would you predict uh, looking into your crystal ball for 2015? Uh, looking into my crystal ball for 2015, there are two big events that catch my eye. Uh, the Rugby World Cup um, that starts on September the 18th uh, and will run ac all across the country for six weeks, coming to a conclusion at Twickenham on 31st of October. Uh, there's plenty for Stuart Lancaster's England to sort out before then. Uh, who are the best centres? Will Sam Burgess make a late run and make the team? Uh, the England rugby team made a terrific start under Lancaster, but they've come unstuck uh, recently and there's plenty to turn around. They've come unstuck against the Southern Hemisphere teams and they'll need to turn that round if they're going to uh, taste glory again like they did in 2003, but this time... Your money would probably be on a Southern Hemisphere team, though? On the All Blacks, very much. I don't think anybody's... Um, picking anybody else to win but uh, you'd like to think that you know with home support we'd have a chance uh, and preceding that the other big event will be the Ashes that starts on the 8th of July in Cardiff uh, and again comes to a conclusion in late uh, August we started this year uh, humiliated 5-0 whitewashed down under in the Ashes and Peter Moores will be hoping for much better this time uh, the cricket team are in some turmoil at the moment they've just lost the captain Alistair Cook sacked uh, six weeks before the start of the one day World Cup Moores has got a, uh, a habit of falling out with his captain so interesting to see how Moores and Cook resurrect that going into uh, into the ashes Australia a country in mourning at the moment as well with Philip Hughes but I'd expect it, them to be uh, you know going at it full 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 on from ball one and they may well have a new captain as well. Michael Clark has got chronic injury problems, so they've just named Steve Smith as captain. Plenty of talking points and plenty for us to report and get excited about. And, and Chelsea, Premiership champions? Uh, I think uh, most people would expect Chelsea and City to uh, to break clear of the rest. Uh, Jose, uh, you know, people were talking about whether Chelsea could go through this season unbeaten. They obviously can't now. But yeah, I think it'll come down to a tussle between those two. So I've now joined Nicola Gill, editor of the Times magazine, in a cupboard. I think there's a little library on the uh, in the Times uh, uh, offices. Uh, Nicola, your thing for readers to look forward to next year? Um, on Valentine's Day, we have Fifty Shades of Grey, the movie, which everyone will deny going to. But I think there will be queues. And people will go and say, well, I haven't read the book, but I will find out what the film is like. But as we know, a hell of a lot of people have read chunks of the book. And are you expecting it to live up to billing or most films never quite as good as the books? 
Well, the book is terrible. So, and it is um, Sam Taylor Wood, Sam Taylor Johnson, and and it does have an excellent actor, Jamie Dornham, who's just been in um, The Fool. So, actually, it might be quite good. You're, will you be one of the people queuing up? Of course not. <laughs> we believe you, I think. So I'm now at another end of the Times' office. I can see London Bridge Station from here, and uh, I'm with our arts editor, Alex O'Connell. What are you looking forward to next year? Um, well, I'm very much looking forward to the first um, Tom Stoppard play in nine years, The Hard Problem, which is going to be at the Dorfman. That's going to be Nick Heitner's um, bow out, his last um, direction um, before he hands over the reins to Rufus Norris. After a very National. successful time at the National Theatre. Yeah, extremely successful and, and, and I imagine this will be very good. Um, and then also Benedict Cumberbatch, who is a must-see anywhere um, in anything, um, is going to be doing his Hamlet um, at the Barbican, which you'll have to literally um, kill for a ticket for. And then film-wise, I'm really looking forward to Suffragette, which is um, Abby Morgan's script um, about the suffragettes, and that stars Mel Streep and the young Mel Streep, who is um, Kerry Mulligan, of course. Um, and then so not Shades of Grey or Star Wars. That's not your top no, of the. No, uh, not well. I'm 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 looking forward to seeing um, if Jamie Dornan can. Uh, um, make it something good um, but I, uh, I'm much more looking forward to Spectre in October which is the Bond which we keep seeing if we look out of the window filming at the moment it's got Christoph Waltz as the villain um, and Daniel Craig comes back again um, and there have been a few details that have been revealed in the last week but I'm a big Bond fan so that's going to be at the top of my list and Who would you be your um, ideal next Bond if you could choose someone? Well, Benedict Cumberbatch of course <laughs> Of course so I'm now with Simon Pearson, editor of the Times' Register, the guy behind the obituaries and so much of the important section of the, of the Times, including the letters page. Uh, Simon, what do you think our readers will be writing to you about in 2015, or they should be writing to you about? Well, I think they'll be uh, writing to us probably about the economy, which seems to be um, in some difficulty globally at the moment. The great issues which um, keep coming into the letters pages and so much swirling around, whether it's the future of the Russian economy, um, Chinese production, and it impacts on us all um, here. And uh, I'm sure we'll be getting lots of, uh, of letters on, uh, on that. Um, but again, it's uh, letters tend to... Uh, switch between the sort of geopolitical and the huge issues that affects us to the um, small issues so, or smaller issues which are obviously more personal on uh, more important on a personal letter uh, level today we're leading on uh, whether obesity should be a disability well what next year I don't know maybe more robots in society taking over jobs that seems to be a direction in which we're going I think it's probably a good year to watch the robot my favourite letter, I think, of the last year was the uh, very short letter. They're often the best letters, yes. I think, to the yes. Times. Yes. When we d we had an edition of the Times where we didn't have a photograph of Kate Middleton, okay. <laughs> in there and someone said, someone asked if she was unwell. Yes, that's absolutely right. And I think it was tweeted um, all around <laughs> and uh, caused uh, great mirth. We had letters, uh, further letters on that, and I think a feedback column uh, uh, as well. Obviously, a source of uh, some fun for our readers. <laughs> Uh, now, one of the big innovations of uh, the Times in the last few months is the red box email that goes out to uh, free to Times subscribers and non-Times subscribers, giving them the uh, in overview of what's happening in the politics every day. Callum Jones is a team member for the red box. Uh, Callum, give us 
your prediction for 2015? Something for readers to look out for? Uh, I would say that the Liberal Democrats will almost definitely have a new leader in about 12 months' time. Uh, I can't foresee a situation after the election in which Nick Clegg would, would stay on or be able to stay on. I can imagine he'll be under a lot of pressure to resign or at least to, to exp- explain when he'll resign after the election. Uh, the Liberal Democrats may do a lot better than many people are predicting at the moment, but they are very likely to lose a considerable number of seats. And in that situation, it would be very, very, very tricky for him to stay on. Who's going to be Prime Minister? Oh, that's, that's a tricky question. Um, I, th- I think it's hard to, hard to call at the moment. Um, it's either going to be a Conservative or a Labour Prime Minister. Oh, you're copping out. <laughs> Uh, yeah, I, it's too it's too close to call at the moment. I've I've been spending the past weeks and months looking at the polls, and it's honestly it's it's a very tricky call to make at the moment. So we now have a view of South London, and I'm with our business editor Richard Fletcher. Uh, Fletch, what are you going to be advising readers to look out for? Well, uh, there's obviously some big stories of the year. So there's Tesco, there's a continued slide in the oil price. We've got Russia. How fast is China actually growing? All sorts of huge big stories but uh, my sort of left field prediction of the year is could we finally see the long mooted uh, long speculated merger of Sainsbury's and Marks and Spencer's Marks and Sainsbury's if you like well then no doubt they'll they'll call it something more interesting than that and, and play someone at great cost to design the name but um, it would be a fascinating deal uh, a few years ago it was uh, Sainsbury's that was going to rescue M&S now it would be M&S rescuing Sainsbury's but the logic of the deal is still the same uh, you know M&S incredible be strong on food uh, Sainsbury's um, uh, you know could sell M&S's clothes in their non-food so it, it, it this could be could be the year we see that deal okay nail your colors to the mask is it gonna happen yes or no maybe <laughs> <laughs> and so we end our um, little tour of the office at the heart of course of the times which is the comment pages and the leader pages and I'm with Jad Wittel the new chief leader writer of the times and it used to be editor of the Eureka section the science section of the times give us something high-tech to look forward to Giles 2015 is going to be the beginning of the end of parking as we know it Ford and BMW and other manufacturers are already selling cute smart little cars that do all the parking for you and sometimes if you want to really show off you have to leap out of the car as it's moving without opening the door uh, because if you open the door then it'll stop but still they do the business and this is driverlessness uh, in reality on the forecourt for sale already and uh, I think it gives a sign that that the Google driverlessness is not going to just suddenly happen we're actually going to get to something like that gradually. So who's going to need HS2 if we've got driverless cars coming? If they're already nearly here, they're certainly going to be here by the time HS2 is delivered in 15, 20 years. Well, whisper it in Great Missenden, but nobody's going to need HS2. A controversial note to end our previews. Thank you for downloading. To discover more, head to thetimes.co.uk. This episode of Politics Without the Boring Bits is brought to you by Luton Rising, owners of London Luton Airport, the UK's most socially impactful airport. Find out more at lutonrising.org.uk. Rising sea levels, extreme weather patterns, extinctions of species. Our planet 
needs protecting. I'm Adam Vaughan, the Environment Editor for The Times, and this is Planet Hope from The Times, in partnership with Rolex and its Perpetual Planet Initiative. In this podcast, we hear from leading experts from around the world who are committed to finding solutions. These explorers, scientists, entrepreneurs, and citizens are committed to a common goal, to protect our home, Earth. Listen now wherever you get your podcasts.